Good morning, church family. Oh, it is so good to be together this morning. Where's my St. Joe's family at? Let me hear from you. Yeah. Y'all, if this is your first time with us at Love Chapel Hill, we just want to say a special welcome and that you have found us on a very special day. We get our church families together with St. Joseph CME Church just it's not even half a mile, I don't think, down the road, right? Every month that there's a fifth Sunday, we get to get together. And um, so we are, are gathered here together. My name is Justin Simmons, and I am one of the pastors here at Love Chapel Hill. And I especially am excited to introduce to you Reverend John Cradle, just to, um, yeah, to pray over us as we go into this time of teaching. Bring a word of, word of greeting. What, it's, it's yours, man. You, amen. Let the church say amen. <laughs> For this is the day that the Lord has made. We amen. shall rejoice yes. and be glad in it. Do I have anybody in the house today that love Jesus? If you love Jesus, you need to get on your feet. You need to raise your hands up in the air. You need to say, Lord God, thank you for another day. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you, Lord God, that you don't sleep, that you don't slumber. Thank you, Lord God, how you watched over me as I slept last night. Thank you, Lord God, that you woke me up this morning with the faculty yes. of my lines and my limbs. Mm. Come on, somebody. Yes. Wave your hands up in the air. Yes. Glory, glory, glory to the most high God. Mm. Isn't God good? Yes. When we think about the gift of the present, today mm. is the present. Mm. We don't have yesterday. We don't know about tomorrow. But mm. today what we have is a present, is the present. And when we think about the word present, it's a gift. Think about it. We don't normally think about today as a gift, but it's called the present. Why? Because God gave us a gift mm -hmm. today, a gift. And how are we going to honor God with the gift that he's given us? How do we reciprocate that gift that God has given me? For well, everything between heaven and earth belongs to God. You belong to God. Mm -hmm. I belong to God. Mm -hmm. And the word of God declares in his word, he said, you will know my disciples by the way that they love one another. Mm -hmm. right. We are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And that wherever we go, there should be some love illuminating, coming from us so people will know and see and understand that we serve a living God. Jesus is not dead because he lives in you and he lives in me. We live in a time right now where bigotry and hate seems to be on the resurgence. When you think about people in a distant country can be in a mosque praising God and someone would come in and slaughter 40 men and women, wounding 30. Then we think about our children having to go into school, even on college campuses, but we don't even know if they're going to make it back home because it seems like the enemy has been let out the pit. We need some praying folks right now. We need the ambassadors for Jesus Christ to step up and take their rightful place upon the earth. For he has not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of a sound mind. Can I get a witness, somebody? Yes, when I look upon the sea, I can only imagine a day of Pentecost when people came from all over and they looked just like you and they looked just like me. And the Bible says a mighty wind came through and it touched them. It electrified them. And the one thing they started doing in their own native tongues, they started praising the Lord. Because they felt something special. The Holy Spirit had come in and had empowered them, and they knew that God lives. 
I pray that that spirit would come in this place today like a rushing wind. I will pray right now that your hearts are open right now to receive the transformation powers of the Holy Spirit. That God will come into you. God will empower you. Will give you the strength to go forward and do those things that God has called you to do. For his words say, I knew you before I placed you in your mother's womb. Mm -hmm. God had already given you assignment. Unfortunately, this world takes us away from what God has called us to do. And God's going to hold you accountable. I pray right now for each and every one of us. Because we are all our gifts to God. And when Jesus died... He didn't see pigmentation. Mm -hmm. Only thing that he saw was a diamond in the raw. We're all diamonds in the raw. And we need the Holy Spirit through Christ Jesus to polish us mm -hmm. so we can shine brilliantly and be the people that God called us to be. Mm -hmm. Let us pray. Mm -hmm. O wise and eternal God, he that is the Alpha and the Omega, Father God, search the hearts of your people right now, oh Lord God, as we prepare for this worship experience. But Lord God, right now our hearts and our eyes are fixated on you, oh Lord God. Because Lord God, we look into you because from you, Lord, comes our help. Through you, Lord God, comes the empowerment to do those things that you called us to do. Father God, we need you right now. We need you in this worship experience. See, someone came here today, Lord God, looking to meet Jesus. Someone came here today, Lord God, with a wounded and a broken heart, oh Lord God. But Father God, whatever our wounds may be, Father God, we know that you are the antibiotic that can fix any wound that's in our spiritual as well as our physical body. So Father God, in the matchless name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, Lord God, you are welcome in this place. Come in, oh Lord God, restore us and remove those things out of our hearts and out of our spirits, Lord God, that are not of you. Help us, oh Lord God. Help us to be the people that you called us to be. Lord, let us not be like the world, Lord God. You called us out of the world. And then, Lord God, you declare in your word that you will supply all of our needs according to your riches and glory. Because my word tells me that everything between heaven and earth belongs to you, oh Lord God. And if we are willing to serve you, oh Lord God, just as you would take two sardines and five biscuits and feed 5,000 people, surely you would take care of your people. So, Father God, right now we say hallelujah. We say thank you, O Lord God, as you are truly welcome in this place. Lord, come in. Stir us up. Stir us up, O Lord God. Get us back on the right track. Get us to be the people that you called us to be. And then, Lord God, we will give you, you, O Lord God, all the praise and all the honor that you so richly deserve. And the men, the women, the disciples of Christ said, amen. amen. God bless you. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Taylor. Mm. All right, I'm fired up. I don't know about you. Uh, <laughs> yes, oh my goodness. Y'all, we've been in this series called Imagine God. Just for a minute, imagine God. We're on this journey through this season of Lent, and we're studying the seven I am statements of Jesus. He says, I am, and we have walked through so far, I am the sheep gate. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. 
This is what we've walked through so far. If you have missed any of those, I want to encourage you to go back and pick them up. You can listen online at lovechapelhill.com or you can catch the podcast via iTunes or any of you Android users, I don't know what that, you can, you can find it there too. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Um, but we invite you to go back and, and listen, to, to catch up. Hear these I am statements. The illustrations are just so rich. They show us who God is and shows our relationship with him that he invites us to be a part of that. And so go back and check it out. And the thing that excites me about God's word is that it is living. It is speaking to us today. This that was written over 2,000 years ago, these statements, they are speaking to us here and now. Now, the words that Jesus speaks to his disciples, the first 12 are relevant for us here and now. And that is why we're here, to hear from his word. His word shows us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, a way of life. It shows us the way that Jesus lived, and therefore a way for us to live. If you've spent much time looking at the life of Jesus or studying, it doesn't take very long to know that he was radical. He was radical. He was living counter to the culture he found himself in. And in doing so, he was showing them an alternative way of being, another way to live. And so today, we are going to get into a text that is pretty classic, even known outside of Christian circles often that it is familiar. This passage from John 15 where we find the vine imagery. We're going to take a look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. We're going to take a look at the English Standard Version. So you can pull it up on your phone or you can read there in your Bible. I think we've got it on the screen um, for you as well. Let's read this together. Here are these words. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart, apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love. And just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the hearing of God's word. 
Mm-hmm. So this passage comes in the context of Jesus speaking to his disciples the words and the stories that would be his last. Think of it as his last will and testament, what he is speaking in the hearing of his friends for the last time. What would you be pouring out to your friends if you only had hours remaining? This is what Jesus is doing. He is locking these images in their minds that will carry them through what they are about to experience. That they will know who he is. Jesus is doing that download with them in this time. It's an incredibly beautiful passage, almost poetic, but it is thick. We could spend weeks going through just these 11 verses, but I don't think I have that much time. So we're going to work through this a little, a little quicker. I want to unpack just a few key elements for us as we get into it today. So why a vine? We want to wrestle with this question. Why a vine in the vineyard imagery? Then is pruning, is the cutting off necessary? Because that doesn't sound very good. What does it mean to bear fruit? And then where the, the real sickness comes through in this passage and the command to us, what does it mean to abide? So we're going to wrestle with these things today. First, why a vine and why a vineyard? He evokes this imagery because it would have been so familiar to his disciples. Not only is is this region of the world prime and essential for the cultivation of grapes, but this imagery that he is using, he knows is going to draw back on their Israel History 101 class. These things are going to be locked in their minds so fresh and so real, and so he calls on that imagery again. Vineyards were central to a way of life. They're large swaths of land. They were employment centers. And it provided a source of life in a part of the world where water was often more dangerous to drink. The prophets through the years used the vineyard imagery also to to speak of Israel, God's chosen people. You can bet their ears would have perked up as he started talking about it. What is he saying about us? What is he saying about our people? As he talks about this imagery and God's chosen people, he is introducing a new way to be a part of God's chosen people. In fact, he's introducing the way that you and I get to be a part of this, right? That we get to be grafted into the vine. He's showing us a way of living, a life that shows the very way that he laid out for us. In other words, he's patterning, he gives us a pattern for our lives to follow after his. And then the vineyard imagery can't help but also draw back to the Garden of Eden. That place where there was perfect relationship within God and his creation. That story that they had heard way back when, before sin entered in and brought about division and separation, that perfect place. And so he is drawing on that as well. The disciples hear that in this time. And the passage opens with Jesus defining his relationship to the Father. He says, I am the true vine, 
And my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. It illuminates and reminds us that vineyards require maintenance. You can't just plant it and let it go. The land before the planting has to be prepared. Trellises have to be built. And then it takes dedicated and devoted care for the vines themselves. One vine alone, let alone all of the vines in a vineyard, cannot grow and produce fruit on their own. It requires someone to tend to it. And who is that but the Father? So in tending to it, what about this cutting off and this pruning language? Hmm. Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, says that it's even the case for him. Listen to that. He says he is the true vine and still he has branches that are cut off and pruned. And then he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to us that we are the branches. And so if, if we are the branches and he is the vine, he's also just defined our relationship with the Father, right? He's bringing us back into connection. What, Jesus, what are you saying? That your relationship with the Father now puts us in direct relationship with the Father? That sounds like that garden language we talked about, that perfect relationship that he is making a way back to that garden experience for us. The father is then the one who is doing the cutting off and the one who is doing the pruning. He knows fully what to cut off and what to keep. So is it necessary? It seems that there are only two types of branches, those that bear fruit and those that don't. Mm. those that don't literally are sucking the life out of those that are and at some point they must be cut off for the health of the vine they may have nice pretty leaves for the moment but there's no fruit (laughs) and so there's no use for the vine There's no use to the vine in that scenario. He says that they are better off as kindling in a fire than to keep on the vine. And those that do bear fruit, those that give the most fruit, still he prunes. So cutting off and pruning, let's be honest, doesn't sound like much fun. Our openness and our willingness to be pruned is a little bit, I don't think so. Um, let's, Let's think about this for a minute. Could you use the little handheld shears and just take this here and take a little bit of that? I don't mind getting rid of that, but we don't get to choose. He chooses. He knows. Hmm. So, in reality, the vineyard keeper, vine dresser, gardener, whatever you want to call it, is going to cut back nearly 90% of a vine at the end of the season. 90% of that vineyard is going to get cut. The branches are then 
preparing and being enabled to produce the best possible harvest for the next year. There is real intention and there is real selection on what actually gets to stay. The choice parts that stay to produce fruit in the next year. We have a good friend who is, is actually a vine dresser. And he says about pruning, once you think you have pruned too much, go a little bit more and you're almost there. <laughs> Donna. Yeah. right he's he says i am the vine and you are the branches and so he is the vine and he is the source of strength yes yes and we get to be a part of that he invites us to be a part of that thank you donna that is beautiful in fact i want to show you just a little bit of what it looks like um, for the the pruning of a vineyard west do you have that and he cuts off that we are even stronger but we are in a society and a time Reverend Cradle thank you for taking us there thank you for just reminding us where we are right now mm. we don't much like to have ourselves held back we don't much like the idea of being cut off or restricted in any way the word discipline is mm, not something we like to hear too much we're in a place where everything is go, 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 and don't slow down. Achieve everything that you can, whether in the academic setting, in the workplace, your wealth, your family. That's what the world around us is telling us, the constant pressure to perform and outperform someone else. As humans, we are prone to compare, and we want to climb to the top, don't we? The top of the ladder, the top of the tree, the top of the mountain, that's where we want to be. That's what our flesh tells us. Hmm. And so our Father gives us a picture that is different of success. It is not to be at the top, but it is to bear fruit. Bear fruit. So what does it mean to bear fruit? If that is the sign of success in the kingdom. If you've been around churches for a little while, you might have an image in your head right now of what that looks like. 
right? Over the years, this has been different teachings, different traditions look at this different ways, and we just want to process a couple of those right now. In some traditions, in some cases, this has been all about evangelism. This has been tied to evangelism. It's this fancy word for sharing the good news of Jesus with someone else, which is good, and it is amazing to see people come to know Jesus. It often, in these traditions, though, is a bit more like a competition to compare to each other. How many people have you led to Christ? How many converts can you claim in your lineage? What's your legacy? Don't get me wrong. We celebrate and all of heaven rejoices every single time someone comes to know the Lord. Every single time. Amen? Amen. Every time someone orients their life to Jesus. And each of us as a follower has a clear and direct commission to go and make disciples. And we should be prepared at the drop of a hat to share the good news. We should be ready to tell our testimony of grace and mercy and forgiveness and transformation. No question about it. But it's not about posting up numbers on a scoreboard. So you could argue that this is a part of bearing fruit. But by itself, this definition of evangelism as bearing fruit falls short. In other traditions, bearing fruit has been taught as a very results-oriented experience. The fruit of your life might be more about the car that you're driving. It might be more about the dollar signs in your bank account. It might be a little bit more about how big your house is or how new your house is. How many kids do you have? It's been thought these outward measurements of the world somehow are an indication of kingdom fruit. But Jesus can't pass that standard, can he? Hmm. And so that is not at all what we are talking about. Let's put that to bed and know that that is not what bearing fruit looks like. Amen? So to get to the heart of bearing fruit, Jesus says, if my word is in you, you abide in me. And so let's turn to his word to look at what that fruit is. Over in chapter 5 of his letter to the Galatians, Paul tells us, it's commonly known as the fruit of the Spirit. It's up on the screen here. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. The fruit then that we bear is exactly what Paul is talking about. He tells us a bit earlier in chapter 5, so I say walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you don't do whatever you want. Who is Paul echoing here? Jesus. That's right, I heard it. Jesus. Apart from the vine, a branch can bear no fruit. And Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
Have you ever tried to grow this fruit on your own? Have you ever tried to live out the fruit of the Spirit apart from God? Choose any one of them. You say, today, or this week, I'm going to work on patience. Hmm. <laughs> Don't make that request. <laughs> or I'm going to try to be more kind. I need to be kind. We can work on those things, and maybe we should. But when we do it by our own strength, even for an extended period of time, people might notice that the needle has moved just a little. But it's not sustainable. It's not something that we can do on our own. We will always, always, always be limited by our own strength. And in fact, back in Galatians 5, Paul tells us that there is a force working against us. And that in fact, the opposite of the fruit of the Spirit is true. The acts of the flesh become more natural to us apart from God. He says the acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry. Paul, thank you, this is a little intense. Witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. He says, I tell you, those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. <laughs> Left to our own, apart from the vine, what does the world look like? Paul captures it for us. And so these are the things that Jesus is saying about cutting off. These are the things that suck the life out of the fruit-bearing branches. The two can't exist and expect to bear good fruit. As Paul said, they are in conflict with each other. And Jesus says, his father, our heavenly father, the vine dresser, will do the cleanup work. I want to pause for just a minute and say, this is what he's talking about. If anyone has ever said to you that you have been cut off, it's a lie. No one, even with these behaviors, is not cut off. We are in a season of mercy where God is calling us and inviting us to walk in his ways, to be connected to the vine, to abide in the vine, and that invitation is to every single one of us. A friend of mine in, in the band, Look Homeward, he has a line in his song that says, the best proof of hope is that I'm still alive today. If you have breath in your lungs, you can be a fruit-bearing branch. Amen? Amen. Amen. And being a fruit-bearing branch, he is going to prune. He is going to continue to work and strengthen the love, the joy, the peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in you. And when the fruit is present, other people want to know about it. Tell me more. How did you get from that place back there in Galatians 5 that Paul just talked about to where you are today? How did you make that change? What was that? And our answer is Christ crucified. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Or, in other words, abide in the vine. 
So what does it mean to abide? This is the primary command of this passage, to abide. And some of you already are like, how do I get it done? What's the checklist? Can I get it done by Monday afternoon? <laughs> Don't I wish. Don't I wish. I'm a get things done kind of guy, and I want to check it off. But it's not quite like that, to abide. This isn't a word that we use much today. Apart from reading a Bible, anybody use the word abide this week? Nope. <laughs> Me either. Um, it is translated from this root Greek word called minnow. The word minnow. It's often translated to remain. But I think that doesn't even quite get there. It's to be continually present. This deeper place of abiding. If you'll permit me just one minute, I'm going to geek out on the Greek for a sec, okay? Um, <laughs> this is an imperative verb in the Greek, menete. It's imperative, not optional, imperative. And it's second person plural. It may be my favorite part of the translation here that the best translation of any second person plural is all y'all. All y'all. It just makes me so happy to think of Jesus saying, all y'all. <laughs> but it is this imperative command to all of them, to all of us. Do you believe? I'm getting ahead of myself. This imperative command is also has the sense of it as something to come to completion. It can come to completion, and it says, keep after it until it's complete. So Christ's love, do you believe it can be made complete in you? Come to completion. What about his joy? The joy of Jesus. He said, my joy I give to you that it, yours may be full. It can come to completion. What about his patience? The same patience that Jesus had, that can be made complete in us? Seriously? How different would our world look? His goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, kindness, hold up, self-control, that can be made complete in you, in me. Do you believe that? Do you believe that this morning? Let me hear from you. Amen. Yes. Mm. You're not going to get it done by Monday afternoon. But you can get started by then. This is a lifetime process that requires ongoing intention. It's an embodiment that grows and grows over time. It's a process we refer to as this big church word called sanctification. That you are justified by your faith in Jesus. You are made in right relationship with him. But then the Spirit goes to work, and sanctification takes place, and that can be made complete. And so how do we do it? How do we become more like Jesus? We live like Jesus. It is not easy, but it is simple to know what to do. Look at what Jesus did and do that. That is our pattern for living. If we believe Jesus lived and led a countercultural movement, then we must also. 
But we can't do it apart from the vine. We must abide. And how do we do that? We know that if we continue the way that we want to go, things will always look the same. It will look like the rest of the world. We can't just follow our own flesh and what nature tells us to do. We, we only end up with the pattern of the world. We can hope and desire the things of Jesus all we want to. But until we put a practice in place, until we take action, it doesn't matter what we intend to do, does it? Y'all, if I want to run a marathon someday, and let me just be clear, I don't, <laughs> then I can't expect, I really don't, um, I can't expect, though, that getting out and running one mile twice a week is going to get me there. It's a good start from where I am right now, believe me. But it is not going to get me to a marathon. It is re going to require a change of pace. It is going to be an intentional action to reach that goal. And in the same way, we have to change pace to live like Jesus. The world around us spins at a breakneck pace, and there are distractions at every single turn. Our lives become so busy that we miss the simple presence of God and his desires for us. When I get to talking about smartphones and social media and Siri and Alexa culture, on-demand, convenience-driven lifestyles. My wife reminds me that I start to sound like a 95-year-old curmudgeon. <laughs> and she helps rein me in a little bit. But she's serving in Quest Kids today. Um, so, <laughs> no, I know she's going to go back and listen to the podcast, so I'll spare you the old man talk. But I want to ask you to consider just taking a little inventory. What are the things that keep you from abiding? What's keeping you from being continually present with Jesus? I heard it. <laughs> Facebook's on my list. <laughs> mm -hmm, that's right. Absolutely. What are the things that distract you? You know, the screen time report that you can get from your phone? Take a look at it. It messed me up. <laughs> really. Like, if you add up the hours of the day, granted, some of it is work, some of it I'm keeping in touch with some of you in the room. But if I add it all up, I've spent a day of the week looking at my phone, and that is average. That is average. Look at yours. You don't have to tell me, but go look at yours. What is it? That was my confession right there. Something has got to change. The pace has to change. Have you ever watched a branch try to produce fruit? Just watch, like an apple tree or a pear tree. Have you seen how hard they work, how stressed out they get? If you look close, you can even see the sweat. Like, this. No, I'm being ridiculous. This is not, <laughs> fruit doesn't work hard. Simply by the branch being connected, the fruit comes. And so the job of the branch is to remain steadfast, even when it's pruned. If the command then here is not to bear fruit but to abide, 
What are some of the time-tested ways that keep us connected to the vine? There are these things we often call spiritual disciplines, and that name alone makes some of you especially attracted to them and want to be a part of them, and for others, you want nothing to do with it. So let's just call them practices. These are practices that are age-old throughout the years. They're simply practices that are a means to an end of being more like Jesus. The practices themselves are not an end, and they in no way make us more holy just by doing them. But they are a means of connecting us to the one who can make us holy. Some of them are, and you know them, prayer, fasting, scripture reading, and study, Sabbath keeping, taking a day and setting it aside for the Lord, practicing silence and solitude, practicing table sharing and fellowship. Who are you gathering around your table? Or creation care, giving a darn about the environment. It is a spiritual practice. Generosity. These are practices that lead us closer to Jesus. And that's just a few. There's no exhaustive list out there. And they don't all work for all of us. You don't need to make a checklist and try to do them all or do them all at once. And you are not supposed to master them for all of our overachievers in the room. They are a means to living more like Jesus. They help us to live out this command to abide. And so as you go out, as you go up the walkway today at, at the top, there's this thing called the Love Lab. And there's some bright colored sheets, and these are just a few of these practices. They're guides to help you in that process. Grab one or two of them. Just think about how you might want to try something this week. You have to take the first step. We can intend to be more like Jesus all we want to, but we've got to put it into practice. Are you abiding today? Maybe it's better to ask the question, are you feeling fruitful? Are you seeing the Lord's fruit growing in your life? Or is it being crowded out by weeds or overgrown by the world? I want to provide this space just for the next minute, just to take that inventory. Are you connected to the vine? Is your life producing what you want it to? I believe your branch can burst forth with the fruit of the Spirit. And he will bring it to completion if you simply continue to be present with him, if you abide in him. Take this next minute. Watch this video as you take that inventory.
Mm-hmm. Today is the day to align your life with the Spirit. To connect to the vine. To abide in the vine. As we wrap up, we're going to have Tim and Gabby down front here to pray. Allison's going to be in the back corner there with Cora to pray. I want to invite you. If there is something keeping you from abiding, let's get it out there. Let's cut it off. Let's prune it. And if you just want to say, Lord, here I am again today. I want to live in you now and always. You can do that. I invite you to just join in that time of prayer. And so they're going to be, be down front to pray as we participate in this, in this meal that is also a means of grace. This is a means that, lives, that leads us to live more like Jesus. And it is an invitation. Yeah, Donna. Yeah, what's up? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Thank you, Donna. And I have no patience apart from my Heavenly Father. I don't. Believe me. <laughs> we'll sort that out later. I really don't. <laughs> he invites us to his table. This is the Lord's table. This is not the Love Chapel Hill table. This is not the St. Joseph's table. This is the Lord's table, and he invites all of us whether we have been following in his ways for 70, 80 years, or ready for the first time to orient our lives toward him. He invites us as we taste of this bread, his body that was broken for us. And as we taste of this cup, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin. We are reminded that we are journeying with Jesus toward the cross in this season of Lent. And as we partake of this, we are reminded that we join with him in his suffering and his death, but also in his resurrection to eternal life. So we're going to invite you to come. There will be a station on both sides. You can come down the side aisle and go back on the same aisle. Tear off a piece of the bread, dip it in the cup, and taste and see that the Lord is good. If you need a gluten-free option, it'll be on this side 
as well. I want to invite our servers to come. And, and if you would like prayer, please, uh, it'll be available here at the front or in the back.